This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. Brace yourselves, there's a lot to deal with here. Scott Owen. Firstly, Raw Fans of Melbourne are going to have your head for that. And Adam Pace. <laughs> it's good to see that you're listening. Starting now. And here we are, folks. It is five games into the new A-League season, so why not have a nice long break? Because apparently we've all learned it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of the Brisbane Football Review. It is James Scott and Adam with you on this lovely November afternoon. And, well, Adam is back in the country. Uh, Customs finally let him through, and uh, you're looking a bit more rested now. I am, uh, yeah, it's uh, a bit, bit you know, touch and go over the weekend, that's why I didn't uh, make a reappearance at uh, on a lovely Sunday afternoon at Morton Daly Stadium, but uh, but yeah, rested and uh, yeah, mind you, I, for a while I didn't think I would get through customs, given the state of things at Brisbane Airport. Good to know. Scott, how are you going? What do you mean we've all learned to break? Adam's been on holiday for a month, should we be putting him to work for a month now as retribution? Yeah, maybe he should be hosting this show. Maybe he should. I reckon that'd be fantastic. I think that's hey, a wise isn't, isn't there? Isn't this? Uh, is this little tin pot tournament happening over the next month? There is. Yes. Uh, so, if you've been living under a rock, let us catch you up on what's going on. We're five rounds into the A League season. There is no Brisbane Raw game next weekend because of the issues going on with Perth Glory's home grounds. That's plural, mind you. And uh, the WA government's work. Had a nice concert there. at the um, Perth Oval at the weekend. Nice. Good to see the renovations are going well. Yes, exactly. And uh, so that means the Roar are off for five weeks now because, uh, well, we'll be covering the Socceroos squad announcement since the World Cup is kicking off in, oh my God, 11 days. And it just feels great having a World Cup in November, doesn't it, Scott? Oh, it's wonderful. Let's do this every time. I'm sure everyone around the world would love World Cups every four years in November. Actually, I take that back. Every two years in November. Let's have it every two years, James. Why not? Thank you, Arsene. No <laughs> Thank you, Arsene. Let's not do that. <laughs> the brown paper bag just arrived. I had to say that. Yes. All right. Fair look, enough. We're going to shelve the World Cup discussion for a little while because we are, first and foremost, a uh, Brisbane football-focused show. And that means we've got just a little bit to uh, cover from Sunday afternoon at Morton Daly Stadium. All up. That was a pretty fun afternoon out there, wasn't it, Scott? It was a fun afternoon. It started off really well, didn't it, the Raw? We've seen the first couple of games. They haven't started games well. James, on, on Sunday, they completely fixed that, didn't they? They were on it from minute one. And really, in the first ten minutes, this game was virtually over with the way the Raw started the game. Really on the front foot, put Sydney on the back foot. It's a Sydney side with a lot of players missing, and they didn't give them a chance for those combinations to really gel at all. The Raw put the foot on the throat from minute one, and it was a really good start to the game, as I said. Sydney fought back into the game, James, and made this first half competitive, but really the damage was done in the first 10 minutes, and it was great to see the Raw use that home ground advantage they haven't done so far and put a team to the sword quickly. I should clarify, I never actually mentioned the score. It was 3-1 to the Brisbane Raw. Uh, early goals from Charlie Austin and Carlo Armiento before a Josh Brindle South rocket sealed things uh, about 15 minutes from time. But Adam, you were watching this on TV, so how was your experience? Ah, oh, yeah, it was good in the uh, in the air conditioning uh, of my of my lounge room. But uh, yeah, look, uh, after the way this uh, the raw played, uh, I 
dare say that, you know, I've missed a trick and, uh, and wish I was at uh, Morton Day's team because I think it was a very, very good performance, especially in the first half, where, again, as, as Scott said, it, they've sort of struggled to really sort of do anything, you know, early on, but they came out firing and, and you know, obviously a few breaks went their way and all of a sudden, you know, 2-0 up and uh, they had Sydney on the back foot. Yeah, and that was probably the big thing uh, I was looking for coming out of this game as well was just getting off to a fast start, putting Sydney on the back foot. Their defensive record wasn't great. They played a lot of their game last two games against 10 men. And I thought that was probably the most vibrant and lively start we'd seen from them in a while. I think it was probably because they also knew, all right, let's just run ourselves into the ground. We've got a week off coming up, as uh, some of the players were saying afterwards. And it's yeah, it was good to see them find a way to really got a lot more aggressive because I think that is one of the criticisms that a lot of people had had early on, like us included, was that we felt their approach in some of the earlier games might have been a little bit too tepid, Adam. Yeah, I, th- I think so. It seemed like, especially against, say, Melbourne Victory, where it was a case of just try and neutralise the game, keep you know keep Melbourne Victory at bay and then run over them, especially in the hot conditions. And that sort of really didn't work out, especially after uh, Jordan Holmes uh, got, got given his marching orders. So it seemed like the game plan was, sort of flip- was flipped a bit and said, you know what, let's go out hard, see if we can get a couple of goals and let Sydney chase in that, in that heat. And obviously that seemed to uh, do the trick. It did, and the other thing I like what Warren did was he completely changed up the way the starting lineup looked, James. He made three or four changes to the starting lineup. Obviously, one was forced with Macklin Freak coming in. in goal. And the uh, back... second one was too. Connor Chapman was out yes, with a hamstring. Absolutely. So there was two forced changes. We also brought Carlo Armiento back into the into the starting lineup, and he added a lot of energy down that left-hand side. So he changed things up a bit after the way things went in the victory game, and it worked a treat. Yeah, and it was Charlie Austin scoring... Uh, early as well, which I think would have made plenty of people happy getting his first goal at home. And um, it was a good story that uh, we were told uh, after the game as well. Hinksy, the grand MC, actually picked this one up. Charlie Austin's son uh, told him, please score, because they were at the ground. So um, <laughs> I think uh, from what I was told afterwards, Charlie Austin's son is now going to be on the Raw staff for each and every game going forward. Sorry, buddy, should. <laughs> He needs a season ticket. He needs to be there every home game now. That's it. No excuses. Finalised. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, and then there was the uh, penalty uh, beforehand as well where... Well, look. It was disappointing to see that Austin uh, couldn't convert the penalty and the follow-up from Miller Usnich was saved as well. If you want a silver lining, at least Andrew Redmayne has good form stopping shots from uh, that range heading to Qatar. But eventually it was Armiento buzzing into the box and scoring uh, for the Raw's second goal early on. And again, it was just that determination and tenacity to get after the loose ball that really seemed to make the difference in the build-up to that second goal. Thanks for stealing my joke, by the way. Everyone was the winner in that moment, besides Charlie Austin, who would have loved the second goal. <laughs> but, but the Raw went 2-0 up, and Redmayne's in prime World Cup penalties, having form if required. So everyone's a winner on that front. I think there's no doubt about the penalty either, by the way. It was pretty clear... Oh cut on yep. that one and even Steve Corrick in his press conference was very much adamant that that was fine as was the red cup later on which we'll probably get to but he wasn't happy with the first goal James with the free kick he thought that was a bit soft I thought it was a pretty clear cut free kick and given the way Sydney were fouling in the first five minutes I thought it was the one that was absolutely always there to be given I was wondering what you thought on that to me it was a pretty clear free kick I can see why there were complaints from Sydney about it but it was also one of those situations where if you thought it was a 50-50 call, 
Sydney kind of lost the benefit of the doubt with the fact that I think it was four fouls in the first five minutes or something of the sort. I think a couple were played on for advantage. It did just feel like the only stoppages that were really taking place were for Sydney giving away a free kick. Yeah, I'm looking, I thought, yeah, you're right. I think I think if that was like the first foul in the sequence, I'd say, yeah, you probably got an argument that uh, that you know, it, was a, it was a case that, you know, that you know, maybe it was a little bit soft. But, yeah, look, it was, it was after after a number of fouls and, and you know, consecutive, and then Blind Freddy could see what Sydney's tactics were, you know, which is, is, is pretty much part, part of the course with Sydney. You know, those, those niggling sort of, you know, you know, stuttering fouls trying to sort of you know, disrupt the early flow. And, yeah, look, I think, I think it was a good, yeah, you know, a good decision. I think based on accumulation of fouls. So I, I, don't, I really don't know what they, you know, really complaining about. Yeah, you know, I, I get that. Yeah, on in isolation, that that free kick's probably a soft one. But you know what? If the referee doesn't do something, it just continues and continues, and then the rules start getting, um, you know, rules start getting frustrated, and you know that that's where it sort of all you know, falls down. Yeah, and I did like the fact that Luke Bratton uh, received the first card of the game, and in the end, it was for dissent, blowing up about the awarding of a free kick. He had about four fouls in that first five minutes on his own, didn't he? He was going at about one a minute at one point. So he certainly came out really fired up with a lot of energy. I, I'm, I think he was the official team captain on the day. So he maybe was. he had a point to prove in terms of being a leader of a pretty young Sydney side with a lot of players, a lot of leadership players out. But he certainly went, maybe, maybe might have calmed down a bit if he had his time over again. And a ground also as well that I know that he would not have great memories of either. Yes, that's right. Because the um, 2017 FFA Cup against... The Mariners? Melbourne City. Uh, um, Melbourne City, that's right, yeah. That was the um, Bruno Fornaroli 120th minute. I just want to go extra home, time game, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, anyway, so the game continued on. Uh, it was not It was not Adrian Caceres, it was Anthony Caceres, as I may have accidentally said uh, out loud when it happened, but um, VAR came in and made the correct ruling where... There was a bit of conjecture over whether or not the ball had crossed the line, but in the end, the replay showed that despite the valiant efforts of Tom Aldred, it uh, hold the ball over the whole of the line. No complaints there, Adam. Oh, I thought it was clear from the first on the first look. I know, obviously, very very different watching on TV than being at the ground, but yeah, it looked it looked it looked pretty clear cut to me. A valiant try by by Tom Aldred, but I think you know in his positioning, he was well behind the uh, goal line, and yeah, but I think it was uh, yeah no no problems there. The funny thing is, because the game was actually being streamed on YouTube as well because of the Paramount Plus uh, issues this weekend that were global by the sounds of things, so it would have affected some of their uh, big money US sports coverage as well, like the NFL and um, college football. But um, yeah, because it was on YouTube, I was actually able to just get my phone out and just scroll to the exact minute and whatnot (laughs) and just move it back and forth, back Wonderful forth. technology that, isn't it? It's almost like the broadcaster should actually implement such technology oh, on their own. Oh, I was going to say, we rewind and fast and fast forward on an A-League game, and wow! I'll tell you what. What's next? Lot... Watch the game at any point. <laughs> it it is. Start? It, wow, I'll, tell, what... I'll tell you what. Yeah, the uh, YouTube scrolling as well. Hell of a lot less finicky than trying to make things work on KO or uh, NFL Game Pass, as I found out in the last week too. I have to take your word on that, but back to the goal with um, the Anthony Caceres goal. It was, it was it didn't have the best view from where I was, but to Adam's point, you could see the way Tom Aldred, the way he finished in the um, finished up where he landed in the in the goal. It was pretty clear that the ball had crossed the line, and they had a, I think the VAR did have a quick look at it, didn't it? Because the, the referee on the day did give the TV signal and then pointed to the 
to centre circle. So clearly VAR checked it and said it's over the line. So I don't think there's too many complaints with that. Probably was over the line, but well, it, yeah, it was a correct, it was a factual call, and that is exactly what like it VAR was. It was quick too, so it was very un VAR like, James. I think yeah, I think about, one one look, it was all would needed. Uh, that's that's uh, that's live and watching on, on one replay. Any longer, and then yeah, like I said, the usual complaints about VAR would come into play. Yes, uh, and uh, so it, at that point, it did feel like Sydney was starting to get a little bit more control in the game. But the good news, though, halftime break came and it allowed the Raw to freshen things up a little bit. Um, I <laughs> this is one of those things where I have a sentence in mind that is going to sound a lot worse than it uh, is probably going to sound, but. The best thing that happened for the Raw securing all three points was Jack Hingett going on a gut-busting run forward and eventually needing to be substituted for Josh Brindle South. Hmm. Yeah, you're not wrong. Also, we'll get to <laughs> Josh Brindle South in a minute, but also Henry Hall came on at about the same time, and those two guys, when they came on, had a real impact down that down the left-hand side. Henry Hall really gave Sydney trouble, and like, I think he played more of a wing-back role. At one point, he was playing certainly more it felt of a like it. if more of a wing back role, but he was really attacking as a winger in that position, and he was getting forward and causing real trouble. And that's where the Josh Brindle South goal did come from. I know the assist came from Jay O'Shea, but the play came from down the left, and well, what a strike from Josh Brindle South! We've seen him play a lot of football in the A League and in the NPL. I've never seen him hit a ball as sweet as that. That was as good as you're going to see. I got a flashback to one. It might have been last season. It was possibly two years ago where. I think we were in the media box on that side of the field when it was on that side of the field, possibly. And I'm pretty sure he put it into um, the row in front, like the walkway in front of where the den was. I think. But either way, like, he could not have hit it any better, put it top corner. And I'll tell you what, if you haven't gone and voted for that as the goal of the week on the A-League socials, go do it now. Go do it now. Yeah. Now. Now. Press pause, come back. You can play it in the background, it's fine. <laughs> Just please come back. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but um, you could see uh, Warren Moon pretty happy with that substitution afterwards, and this is what he had to say on Brindle South after the match. Yeah, well, Warren, you side started off really fast. Was that part of the plan today? Oh, I think, you know, we uh, we wanted to make sure that we uh, we hit the, hit the ground running. We're on the front foot, and, uh, we, you know, we, we wanted to score goals, so... You know, our intent was to get out the movie and, and we got rewarded for a fast start. Um, you've, you've coached Josh Brindlesouth for a long time, both here at the Raw and also at Lions. you ever seen him hit a ball as cleanly as that? Oh, I don't know if he's got that far up the field, if I'm honest with you. No, no, no. He Look, he, he's got... He's like a Ferrari in the garage and when he wants to take it out for a spin, he's, he's some player. You know, he's just got to believe in himself more and do more of that. And... Uh, I've been saying that to him for the two years he's been here. He's shown glimpses in the A-League of his quality. Uh, I just want to see more belief in him because when he does what he does today, he's a very good A-League player. How important is this win for your first win of the season? Yeah, great, because we're going to a break now with the Perth game being cancelled. So, you know, we'd have left a sour taste in the mouth if we'd have had a mini break and uh, not had the first win. But uh, we deserve that today. You know, from start to finish, they had their moments for sure, but... But we were the better side, and we deserved that. And that was a very happy Warren Moon. And uh, I'll tell you what, the overall vibe after the game, you could tell that both the crowd and the players and the staff and, well, pretty much everybody uh, in orange and black was feeling a lot more relaxed, and uh, it was a win that they needed to have, Scott. Yeah, the phrase much-needed win applies here, certainly doesn't it? It hadn't been the greatest start of the year for the Raw with uh, two draws and a loss in their first few games, but... 
the win a win on top of that now is one loss in in five games to start the year. So it's a all of a sudden that one win just changes the slant of the way that looks. Doesn't and particularly given the win is at the end of that run, and now they've got a two three week break where they've got that they've got that positivity that they can take into the five week break. As that James just reminds me of that, but it's it's a good momentum to take into a break, isn't it? Where if they had a loss at that point, James they had to stew on that for a month. It could really eat away. But the fact now that they've had a win, they can take the positives from that, work on the things they need to work on, and come back. I think they've got the first game back in the Adelaide United home game in a month's time or whatever it is. So they've got time now to work towards that, and they've got a positive feeling coming out of it. So a lot to build on, and it's a good a good time to get a win going into the break. That Adelaide game is one month and 90 minutes from when we're recording. Wonderful. Huh. I look forward yeah. to it. But you're right, it is. it stops them going into the break wondering what do we have to do to get a win. They have now have some pretty clear evidence and I think Scott and I were talking about this, I don't remember if you were on for this discussion, Adam, but there was a lot of, there was a feeling like you could go back to those three results at the start of the season, those three draws, I mean, and the loss to Melbourne City and go, you know what, in context, they kind of make sense. First up, you've got the reigning Australia Cup champions who would have been like feeling themselves. You then have Melbourne City who, let's be honest, they've made a lot of teams look a lot worse than the Raw, especially in the last couple of weeks. And then it was the draw with Western Sydney. Maybe they're good, maybe they're not. Still not quite sure. Good fight and back, they- though, from a goal down. Yeah. And also uh, the, draw, the draw with the victory, which we covered in great detail last week, where... If those are used as building blocks to, you know, make a uh, run in December, that's great. But it does at least give them something tangible to hold on to and go say, yep, all right, this is how we are going to make ourselves a proper finals contender. I, only one loss in five, you know, when you look at it like that. And, and you're right, you look at the form line as well. That, uh, that like I said, that, you know, you can, you can sort of make an argument and say, well, look, the Raw's, the, the Raw are getting, you know, six points. You know, to, to go to go into the break while you know it's it, you can look at it as a case of you know oh it, it's a slow start or you know you say well look at the teams that ha- that they you know that they drew with you know it, it's it's probably in, they're actually in pretty decent form. I actually think the worst thing that happened was was you know this this five week break because now obviously you know it rebuilds. But the good thing about that is that everyone is in that boat virtually. I know a couple of clubs uh, have got a couple of you know, friendlies in, in, a, in a couple of weeks' time, but uh, but in mainly in all, everyone has to pretty much start again. And I think uh, it's almost like a new season. This is like a pre-season that counts. You know, they have, have a bit of a break, you know, and then obviously then it, it, it starts all over again. Well, I'll bring you something from the members' function that the Raw hosted at um, the Dolphins Leagues Club afterwards, which got the chance to chat to... Shay Connors, Enrique, and Jordan Holmes before Hinksy came in and uh, brought in the I was going to say, guns. part of it was well hosted, the other part of it was hosted by you. <laughs> were, you were you the warm up act? Yes. Aha. But um, no, that was good. I had a really good chat with Jordan Holmes, uh, especially, but they were all quite good. But one thing that stood out with uh, Warren Moon is, uh, in his chat with Hinksy is the line of it felt like they had an interrupted preseason because they had to keep getting up for the cup games. So it's not like they had to had the slow, steady, gradual build for round one. It was a case of get ready to play a cup intensity match against a team that is in season quite a lot of the time. 
going on the road all the time as well, that wouldn't have been fun either. And all of a sudden you're looking at this going, well, maybe we've got, like, we've got an opportunity to sort of bridge the hole or fill in the holes that maybe came about from that stop-start pre-season. It, it's, a, it's a case of, you know, it's a blessing and a curse, the the, uh, the Australian Cup, I'd say, especially with, with, with the sort of draw that the, the Raw was uh, dealt with, where you're right, they, they had to keep on get, getting up and, you know, and sort of, you know, play a full match intensity almost. Obviously, if they're, they're, ch- they're chasing the, um, you know, ch- you know, chasing success in, in that competition. But also, as well, yeah, going on the road uh, four times, uh, you know, and that, that's if you don't count the playoff. Uh, it's yeah, like I said, it'd, ha- it'd have a massive toll. So, so yeah, so I think it's a case of you can you know probably put a couple of reasons as to why the raw start you know has been a bit slow. But uh, yeah, like I'd say it's almost a case of you know a well-deserved break for the raw, but they need to then switch on because I think the next month, I think is a very very important time so they don't lose lose track of teams that've already got points in the bank. Yeah, and I think that's probably the big. Big thing is, six points is around about where I thought the Raw might have been uh, at this stage of the year. I thought maybe two wins and three losses, maybe two wins, a draw and a loss. But it's about where I expect them to be. And the fact that those points have just come kind of consistently, it is a good uh, starting point. It is. There's only really one poor performance in there, and that was the round two game against Melbourne City. I think that's fair to say that was a an off performance. Oh, that was a horror show. That was an off performance from everyone across the board. There was no individual who didn't perform and everyone else did. There was a whole whole team performance that was under par. Everything else has been pretty good, James. Like Against MacArthur, they played pretty well, as you said. The Western Sydney, they fought back. The victory game, I think there was a plan in place there to try and capitalise on the conditions that other circumstances meant they weren't able to use that. They mixed it up this week against Sydney inside. Nutwear's going to go right from the start. Maybe if they'd done that against Victory, they could have got a win there as well. But there's really only been one poor performance out of five games. And you look around the league, that's pretty much the case across the board, with the exception of Melbourne City. Everyone else has done pretty much the same. Oh, Western United also probably have more than one poor performance out of five. But for the <laughs> most part, everyone's had at least one of them in the first month. I'm actually... Pre- yeah, I'm pretty sure Melbourne City have had about 20 bad minutes, and that all came against... Um, Wellington when they kind of collapsed a little bit but overall yeah you're right and yeah like I, I know some will want to be quite angry about it and I'll tell you what they, they feel like they should have won that Wanderers game like yes. I, I like I'm not I'm not speaking out of school in any way shape or form but I think they're saying there's enough they feel like if either of the two disallowed goals stood now look I think they got the right call on both of those occasions even if it wasn't necessarily the correct interpretation. It was correct by the letter of the law. Not much you can do about that. But yeah, there is a lot to build on going forward. What do you say we go forward now, guys? Yeah, yep. so let's talk about this international festival of the round ball, which is interrupting leagues all around the world. Hang on, uh, hang on, hip, hip rewind. We got uh, three, two, ones. Oh yeah, we do. Yeah, because the the um yes, Adam the boat master is back. <laughs> the boat master is back, and my first, my first votes for uh, the new season, and I three points to uh, Charlie Austin, two points to Josh Brindle South, mainly for that uh, that goal, the uh, thundercracker goal, and uh, one point. I think Mac Freak was other than that one lapse. I thought I thought he was uh, pretty solid as well, deputising for uh, for Jordan Holmes. So give him a point. 
There we go. Okay, now we're going yep. to move on to the international football tournament happening in a non-determinate Middle Eastern state in the current year, uh, which I think satisfies the trademark lawyers. Yep. Uh, yeah, but yes, it is the World Cup, the biggest uh, sporting event on the planet in no uncertain way, shape or form. It's weird having it in November. I, I'm it still... sucks. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying my best to be as excited as I normally am about a World Cup, but God, it is just... It's tough reading all the things going on there and thinking that it is not just going to be an absolute nightmare, like especially for the fans going over there, where costs, uh, accessibility, accommodation, not to mention the whole you know, kind of homophobic attitudes over there, among other things, that uh, might make it a little bit difficult for some football fans to, I don't know, have a good time and not go to jail because they are because they like who they like. Who would have thought that maybe this might have been a little bit of a mistake? Oh, I am so glad, though, that Sepp Blatter finally realised, oh, this probably wasn't the best decision. I mean, who, who signed off on this in good conscience? Nobody. That is the biggest issue. But either way... It's going ahead. The Socceroos will be participating and uh, we'll be hoping it will all go well. And Graham Arnold announced his 26-player squad yesterday, Scott, and did. a couple of surprises in there. Yeah, there were a couple of surprises, a couple of surprise omissions. We'll go, I'll go through the headlines that I noticed. The first one, we'll talk about the elephant room. That's the Christian Volpato thing. And there's a lot been said about this, again, in terms of should he play for Australia, should he play for Italy. It's completely up to him. I'm glad that Graham Arnold persisted with trying to get him to play for Australia. As the national team coach, that's his job, to pick the best available team. And it's fair to say he's in our best 26. He's probably in our best six players in, ter- in truth, but he's clearly in our best 26 and it's a shame he's not going to be there. But it's his career and he can choose to play for whoever he likes. As he said today on his social media, he hasn't actually officially made a decision. We'll see if he plays for Italy in their next friendlies. But that's the big one. There's also the stuff with Mitch Langer. Ha- hang on, hang on. We'll, Scott, we'll, we'll stick on Christian Volpato for okay. a minute there because I can see Adam jumping out of his skin and I've got plenty to Leave say Leave the boy well. alone, Adam. No, I, look, uh, look, I actually support Christian Volpato. I, I think that at the end of the day, and what has really, really annoyed me in the last 24 hours is this commentary from, you know, from certain sections of the fans. So, you know, basically, it's like this self-entitlement that, you know, oh, that, you know, if, if the national team comes calling and you've got any connection whatsoever to the Socceroos, oh, that you must play. You know, the, the, kid, the kid is just trying to establish himself, you know, at, at AS Roma. You know, he, like I said, he is entitled to say, you know what, thank you, but no thank you because I worry about my career and that goes beyond the, the the five weeks of this World Cup. That you know that 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 maybe that he is he is pining for that call up by the Azuri. You know, at the end of the day, it's his career. He can do what he wants. If he wants to play for Italy, then so be it. Like so, I, I agree with you, Scott. That you know, and I know we we talked about this off air that at least you know Graham Arnold tried. He reached out. He didn't let all this this silly this silly nonsense that happened last year you know get in the way. He asked and. And, you know, Christian Valpardo, you know, sort of, you know, said, to, you know, he politely sort of declined. And it's, and you're right, it's not a case of, no, I'm, I'll not play for Australia. It's not yet. So, like I said, but it's just, a, it's self and time and, oh, and then you think that the fans actually get to the side. We don't, our opinions mean jack all. 
the, the, the kid can play who wants, he can play for wants, and the fact that there are people actively sort of, you know, they're really upset, and, you know, sort of, you know, call him every name on social media because he didn't choose Australia, just shut up. Just please shut up. You, you're really not doing yourself any favours. Well, I suppose in that way, Australia is kind of like the rest of uh, European football nations where they think it is a divine right to represent them at a World Cup. So, you know, that is maybe is a little bit of growth uh, from the supporters in that regard. However, I'm, to- I'm torn on this because he's 18. And let's just say, like, giving him the benefit of the doubt, because, look, I, I, I was one of the people that was happy to heckle him uh, when he was making fun of the Socceroos uh, previously. And you know, give give as good as you get. However, I also kind of feel like it. this is either phenomenal self-awareness from him, massive ambitiousness, or massive pettiness, and it could be a combination of all three. Where, look, if he's honestly saying, look, I'm 18, I don't necessarily know which nation I want to tie myself to for footballing purposes for the rest of my career because... I honestly don't know. Then I'm great. Uh, then I'm fine with that. Like if he, if he isn't sure, or then that's fine. If he wants to represent Italy, and he's dreaming of a call up for Italy because we know he's uh, played for them at youth level, then just come out and say it. Don't treat us all like morons, and don't be like just don't be a tease about all this. Just say, look, I feel a stronger allegiance to Italy. I just I want to go and play for them. It's just, it's just what I'm uh, more in tune with and where I feel like I've got a great chance. If this is some sort of pettiness because he wants to strike back at Graham Arnold for uh, letting him go from the Sydney FC Academy and feeling a little bit jaded because he didn't make it uh, in Australia as a youth player, that's when I start to question maybe he's not quite there yet as an adult. I, 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 so I'll, I'll jump here. I, I don't think it's, I don't think so. Because if, if that, if that's a theory that oh that he's petty, why would he? I actually think he'd be, you know, he'd be saying thank you to Sydney FC for letting him go because I think his life has turned out pretty good. No, because look, if it's like in a sliding doors moment, if he's still, if he's still at Sydney FC, he's running around Morton Daly Stadium um, on, on Sunday. In that but, team. Oh, he'd be better. He'd be better than that. But you know, but you know what I'm saying? That, that if we're talking about hypotheticals, instead he was running around in front of 75,000 people at the Stadio Olimpico, you know, in a, in a Roma derby. So look, I, I think it, I don't I don't know if pettiness comes into it. I know there's the deals, the nonsense that happened after after you know the the uh, qualifier and all that. Look, and that's probably a case of 17 year old needs to grow up. And I reckon his people might have you know kicked his ass for that. But I, I, I just feel it's more a case of he's 18. Only the Socceroos seem to be dumb enough to actually go and pick an 18-year-old untried player that's never started a professional game before. We'll see how that turns out. But, but you know, it, it's a case of, you know, you know let, him, let him have his options. You know, if, he's gonna, if he did choose the Socceroos, in four years' time, he's going to be 22 years old. So, what, what, what's, what's, good things come to those who wait, I say. I'm just going to say before uh, we go to you, Scott, 18-year-old James was super petty, and 33-year-old James is pretty petty as well. So it is entirely possible that he might just be uh, wanting to make the most of the situation. 42-year-old Adam is also vengeful. That's what I was going to say. What 18-year-old didn't do something stupid on social media? Mm. 
Everyone's done it, and yeah. he's no he, different. People who didn't have social media. <laughs> yeah, okay, when they, were <laughs> they still did, they still do stupid things when they were eighteen. So everyone does stupid things when they're at that age. So put that to one side. Yeah. The stuff about Australian football not really looking after him as a young player in Italy, putting their arms around him. I kind of do get that because football in Australia, he wasn't on any radar for the junior national teams at any point. But care of a flight to Europe and a couple of games for Roma, all of a sudden football Australia were all over him. Where Italy had already put their arms around, so I can kind of understand from his point, Italy supported me, I kind of need to pay that back. I can see where he's at with all of that. The bottom line is, and just before we wrap up on it, Australia had to ask, we've produced a handful of players who've ever been good enough to play for a club like AS Roma. We don't produce players who are good enough to play for clubs like that very often, so we had to do that. He's not the first player who's had dual eligibility. We saw, remember the Croatia game in 2006, there were half a dozen players <laughs> on that field for either side who could have played for for the other one if they so choose. So it's not the first time. Christian Vieira is the one I, I always yeah, come back he's, to. He's another one from Italy back yep. in the day. But the other thing is, people want to beat up Graham Arnold for not being able to get this over the line. At least he tried. All you can do is ask. He did yep. everything he could to get Christian Volpato in his squad right up to the last minute. It didn't work. So we should probably move on from it now. Should we talk about Mitch Langerak? Well, just quickly, I, I want to wrap up on Volpato too and just say, this, based on his approach now, I hope Football Australia aren't closing the door on him. However, I would be looking to turn the screws on him over the next uh, few cha- at the next few opportunities He's they get. He's got to make a decision at some point. Because Yeah, because at some point Italy is going to come knocking and if he runs straight to Italy... At least uh, you got your fr- answer. Yeah, I know, but I mean, uh, that's also one of the things where I can see it coming back and sort of biting him from a optics perspective where it was, well, you just kept Australia on a leash until you knew you actually had that Italian call-up. When I'd almost rather... Like, Australia have got the Asian Cup coming up. Italy have the Euro qualifiers coming up as well. At th- This tug of war is going to continue until he makes a decision. So if he is feeling a little bit of pressure, maybe just saying outright, look, I want to play for Australia, but I just don't feel like I'm ready for international football. If he wants to play for Italy, say, I want to play for Italy. I will take that call up when it comes along. Or if you're genuinely not sure, just make it plain and obvious. That That's all I'm going That's all I'm going to say because the number of times you just see communication be... the Like, poor communication and trying to massage a statement to the point where the message is lost, that's where a lot of these uh, issues tend to pop up now. So I, I, just... I actually don't think he even... I think the qualifiers start... I think... I think it's, it's in, in March, I, Adam. Yeah, I, I think so. I did see the I did see the fixer group because uh, England and uh, Malta are in that are in there in Italy's group for that. So I've, I did see that, and that's when he's got to make some sort of decision. I don't even know if he would be even be he'll be even picked for March. So I, I for those March qualifiers. So this may drag on for the next two three years. So I think a case of you know, keeping your options open. I think, and I think he knows that as well. I think, I think he's more of a chance of going to another, you know, under twenties, you know, Euros or, or World Cup or something like that for Italy before he actually gets senior football. So as long as it happens, he's still eligible for both countries. So I think I think it's a case of not not yet. Yeah, but the decision will be forced on. Uh, at one point, it will. Yeah. All right. Um, now can we talk about the most ridiculous yeah. decision of the World Cup twenty-six player squad? Yes. Go. Mitch Langerak should be there. I can't see any reason why he is not there. He's not just in our top three goalkeepers. To me, he is our best goalkeeper. He's the J-League goalkeeper of the year, James. He's 
been playing well over there for the last few years. He's been brought back into the fold in the last camp. He didn't play, but he was brought back into the fold. He's now top three goalkeepers. To me, he's a better goalkeeper than Matt Ryan. I know he's the captain, and there's no way you're going to change that decision now to take the captaincy off him and bring Mitch Langerak in. But he should be going as the reserve goalkeeper. Andrew Redmayne goes for penalties if required. But Mitch Langerak should be there. And this stuff I saw today of maybe he didn't go because I might put pressure on Matt Ryan. Spare me that nonsense. That's absolutely ridiculous. Remember 2006 when Zioko Kalic and Mark Swartz both were saying who Sydney was playing them off against each other? They weren't sure who was going to be the number one goalkeeper. And they obviously both played in the group stage. I don't recall anything from either of them saying, oh, don't pick the other one because it will put pressure on me. No, you take your best goalkeepers, and he should be there. As good Especially... a goalkeeper as Danny Vukovic is, and I could give you a few more ahead of him who should be there ahead of Vukovic, but Langerak should be there, and it's that simple. Especially when you consider as well that, A, there was an injury cloud over Matt Ryan in the first place. Well, I think he's battling a knee injury. And he's not so playing just... regular football in Denmark either. Yeah, but you really do want to make sure that you're taking your best options over because especially in a situation where you're playing every three days or something like that, you need as much depth as possible. There was even talk that some um, sides, some nations were going to select four goalkeepers just to give themselves options. So, yeah, for me, I don't understand it. Like, Vukovic is you know, a great story considering all that he's been through over the last few years, but... This isn't the time for sentimentality, as we found out when Arnie uh, dropped his son-in-law, Trent Sainsbury. Oh, look, and I think that I think it was just the writing was on the wall. Like, see, he had an absolute howler at Suncorp Stadium against uh, the All Whites, and yeah, that's probably one. I think that's probably one omission he did get right. I think, you know, even though you know, Trent Sainsbury's experience, we know what he was capable of. It was was very very hard to justify you know, picking him, but just just back on the so I guess the goalkeeping situation. I did see a quote that apparently I'm not I'm not sure personally. I didn't hear it myself, but um, front page football Twitter actually attributed this quote to Graham Arnold, and he said at the end of the day there is a lack of depth of goalkeepers. You look at the age of Andrew Redmayne, huh? Danny Vukovic, and Mitch Langerak. We need more young goalkeepers coming through. I, I, like I said, I didn't hear it myself, but if that's the excuse he's running with, oh my God, at least, at least, yeah, say something that's believable. Like, Australian football has produced, you know, world-class goalkeepers for the last 40 years, and I, looking at what is coming through, I think we'll be producing good goalkeepers for the next 40 years. So, if, that, if that's one excuse that's come up, I, and like I said, I don't know if it's taken out of context, I want to put that caveat on that. But that's just insane to think that, you know, oh, that, you know, you, you sort of get put, put a situation, oh, they're, they're, they're all old goalkeepers. You know, you know, except for Matt Ryan, who's, you know, who, you know, still, still sort of, you know, fairly young, probably could go to one or two more World Cups after this. Remember, goalkeepers can play at the top level until they're, they're past their 40s. So I, I just think, yeah, this whole, this whole sort of you know, situation, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm mind staggered that, you know, that that Mitch Langerak missed out. I, I actually thought that he was a that the three were go, were going to be, uh, you know, Ryan, Redmayne, and Langerak. I also saw something about John Croy, the goalkeeper coach, was heavily consulted, and he almost made the decision with Graham Arnold saying, "I'm no expert on goalkeeping." But you think back to June when he was waxing lyrical about the decision to bring in Redmayne. He sounded like a bit of a goalkeeping expert back then, so it doesn't add I up. I think that was Crawley's uh, work too, yeah. though. But uh, it doesn't add up. I mean, either way, Mitch Langerak should be there, but the point you make about Sainsbury is a good one as well. 
that would have been the easy decision would be to take your son-in-law. That's the easy decision is to find a way you take him ahead of Thomas Deng, who was probably the defender who was picked ahead of him. That's the easy decision. He actually made a really tough decision there. So you've got to give him credit for saying, realizing what we all saw at Suncorp to Adam's mm. point. We all saw that he yeah. was very much off the pace. He was under par in that game. He hasn't played since then for his club. He's actually been training with Melbourne City, I think, so he's not even been playing. It's a bit like Lucas Neal back in 2014, where yes, the experience would be valuable, but he hasn't been playing, so really hands are tied on that one, so I can kind of understand that one. The other thing I didn't really get was no Denis Genre. He's been playing outstandingly well by all reports in France. One of the top players to lose in their promotion. Pushy's still a regular for them. I'm surprised he wasn't there as a midfield option, but it is a very again, that's, a, that's a bit of a coin yeah. toss between him and Devlin and Bacchus, if you like, but it's not as egregious as leaving out Langrake, but it did surprise me. It is a squad that's overall very light on midfielders, and that's probably the area that I look at and go, okay, you've probably got your clear starters uh, for most matches. Like you've, still, you've still got Aaron Moy. Uh, you've still, still got Aiden Irvine Hustic. and Hustic will be the starting three. Yeah. Yeah, Moy, Irvine, yeah, that's exactly it. But the interesting thing for me, so the biggest gamble that I feel like Arnold's taken with this squad is Harry Sutar. He's only, like, he's been rehabbing an ACL injury for the last 12 months, and he's probably the one Australian that's actually happy the World Cup is in November instead of um, <laughs> instead of June, July, because it means he's actually been able to get back onto the pitch for it. But you look at, you look at the uh, fact that he's probably going to be starting against France. He's going to be doing a lot of running in that game because as much fun as we've had at uh, some of the French players getting injured and missing the tournament... They've still got some pretty damn good attackers at their disposal. That's the scary thing about France is that their yeah. production line is pretty deep. But he's going to be put through a lot of work in that first game, having, I think, so far played, I want to say, 45 minutes of first-team football. Will he play? Because Kai Rolls is also coming off an injury. One of those two is not starting against France. You can't play both of them. Yeah. Well, my One guess of them's is... not going to start. My guess is Sutar gets the advantage because of what he can offer at set-pieces. Um, and I think they're probably also hoping that you chuck him forward at a corner, he gets a step on his marker, and all of a sudden, bang, Australia's up 1-0. Are we, we say, are we saying Degenek over Deng for the other centre-back spot? Yeah. Bailey Wright. Degenek ahead of both of them. He's been he's been the preferred partner all season, all campaign long, James, so it'll be him. True. I'm just The only other answer. variation might be would, would be Degenek to, uh, in a full-back role, but... Uh, but then again, yeah, like I said, will he go with Atkinson or um, yeah, well, Atkinson? I think it's a, possibly the right the right back. Obviously, I think as as it's Bayich will be on the other side. But yeah, um, now I know there's one last point that you desperately want to get onto, Adam, and I will te- tease it by saying, well done to the Central Coast Mariners. They're sending three active players from their club plus a number of alumni. Consider where they were four or five years ago in terms of basket case status. They're now sending Jason Cummings, Garen Quoll. Uh, Danny Vukovic and a handful of alumni, including Kai Rolls, uh, to the World Cup. So, Adam, I get the feeling you feel like Garen Quall might be the biggest gamble. Yeah, look, I, look, I just want to qualify my my point before after my my Volpato rant was that I don't I don't disagree with Gra- Garen Quall uh, being picked. In fact, I think that you know, even though he has never started a you know, a first team professional game. Um, look, I, I still think that he showed enough to be that that shock shock weapon off the bench. I, I just think that you know 
I just think that it's a case of well, if we're gonna if we're gonna gamble, you know, with that, you know, then obviously, you know, they they they've sort of Garen Qualls figured, you know what, I will take I will take up that opportunity. Whereas Christian Valpardo has said, no, I will not. So that, I think that's the thing. But I, I actually, yeah, I actually think that, you know, uh, Garen Qualls, you know, deserves, deserves, I think he's been an absolute lightning rod. And for the job that he will do, you know, just as a, a shock tactic, I, I think it's worth, it's worth, you know, taking, taking a chance. Same with, with Jason Cummings. I think, you know, I was sort of, you know, on the fence and, you know, thinking, oh, has he done enough? But again, you know, what we have done, what we have put, uh, hasn't really worked, you know, especially you know, in the striking role. So, you know, why not? Why not, you know, something different? Um, speaking of congratulating the Mariners for sending multiple Socceroos to the World Cup, we should also congratulate Scotland for sending multiple Socceroos to the World Cup. <laughs> I think I think the Socceroos are Scotland's official team at this World Cup, aren't they? They're certainly not going to be England. So I think they're jumping on the green and gold bandwagon. But to Adam's point, you've got to get Mariners... A lot of congratulations. That's three players out of 26 yeah. going to the World Cup, and they'll receive a quite a financial windfall from $800, that. Eight hundred thousand dollars, I That's heard. just if that's cool. just with the group stage. Well, if they go even further on that, that number will yeah. rise even further. So congratulations to the Mariners on that. Also, congratulations to Kai Rolls is the only Queensland junior who's going to the World Cup. As for Garan Quall and Jason Cummins, Garan Quall had to go, and if if he's literally going to sit there for experience, it's worth it. It's 26 players for three maximum probably four games they get out of the group that's probably as far as realistically you can see Australia going it's 26 players you can afford one or two seats on the end of that bench for players gaining experience who you hope will be there in three and a half years time in the US Canada or Mexico so I think it's absolutely worth it with Cummins I thought he bombed his chance actually on Saturday night with that one on one against the Wanderers <laughs> I thought that was going to be the defining moment right he's out and Adam Taggart is going to be in but as we saw at Suncorp Adam Taggart got the start in that game, and he was not impressive. He did? He played in that game, did he not? Did Taggart not I, play in that game? I'm pretty sure he did, and he wasn't impressed. He was unsighted for most of it, so... I'm pretty sure that was the joke I was going for, yeah. thank you. He was there, and he didn't play well. So if that was an audition for him, it's fair to say he fluffed his line. So I can see why they went for Cummins, who's at least been playing regularly. Hmm. But I thought that was a real coin toss. It could have gone either way. But great to see. It's a great story to have Jason Cummings there, given what, six months ago he was coming to the A-League hoping to get to the World Cup? Well, he's done it. Well, and the point I would make on that Central Coast attacking duo as well, Cummings and Quoll, I feel like Cummings is probably the best all-around striker, and I think I've heard a couple of other people say that about him as well. Daniel Garb might have been uh, one of the ones, but I feel like you've almost got to look at starting either a McLaren or a Duke just to almost sort of declare your intentions. But... If a game is in the balance with 25, 30 minutes to go, maybe even 20 minutes to go, can you imagine just that connection that uh, Cummings and Qual have had? You chuck them on and just say, hey, guys, go mess things up. I think that's the PG version of it. We saw it at Eden Park when when an Australian team actually won at Eden Park in a minor miracle. It was those who were coming off the bench, (laughs) and they were the two who changed the game, weren't they? Garen Qual bursting away down the right-hand side, Jason Cummings with the the penalty. We've seen it. As a duo... If you're going to go for a shock and all tactic 15 minutes from the end of the game trying to chase it, I'm sure Graham Arnold's temptation will be throw Mitch Duke on, throw Harry Sutar up front and lump the ball into the box. But I hope his idea is throw on Cummings and Quoll and let them cause chaos. Because we've already seen, okay, it's New Zealand, but it was their international debut. They can do it. So I think if you're going to see them used, I think that's how you'll see them used. I feel like... I, I'm. No, I'm conscious of time as well. I don't want to let this drag on into a massive 
uh, preview of the French game, but I'd almost rather give uh, Duke the start against France and just let him and just try and batter them. Sort of the way that they used Naboo, or they tried to use Naboo against uh, France four years ago. And then sort of, you know, let them get a little bit beaten up and then just bring on the bring on the house flies to buzz around, bring on Cummings, bring on Quoll, and even bring on McLaren, who can still make a run here and there. And maybe that's the way that you try and win that game. Because look, uh, spoiler alert: France are not uh, France are not unbeatable. I think there is there is a path to victory for the Australian. <laughs> well, yeah, it may it may also involve yeah it may also involve France imploding like it's two thousand and two, but. There was only one player missing from that French side, by the way. That 2002 team it was only Zidane who wasn't playing in those first two games. All the rest of it was the core team who won 98 and 2000, and they got absolutely taken to the cleaners by Senegal. So it can absolutely be done. And this French team have got a fair few injuries, you point out. I think Raphael Varane is going to be touch and go to even be named, and Pogba's not going, apparently, and that might be a plus, not a minus for them. But there's players unavailable. They are eminently beatable. I just look at N'Golo Kante and think, like, yes, he's, you know, probably not the best player. Well, he's definitely not the best player on that team. But when you look at most important, he he's the sort of guy that will... Like, he did so much for them in 2018. He yes, Adam, is he? Pogba for a yeah, start. He's injured. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I thought he... Yes, I thought I read that he's not going. Yeah, that's what I mean. He's Kante like, out losing. as well. Yeah. Yeah. I swear we've had this discussion on at least three of the last five uh, I didn't know. Podcasts. I knew Pogba was out and that Faram was 50-50 to go. I didn't know nothing about... Yeah, Pogba. no, go. Conte's gone, yeah. So, like, there's enough red flags there where you almost look back and go, there is a path. I Again, I admit it's unbelievably slim, but it's not out of the question. And I feel like Arnold has to give himself the chance to win this game. I just don't want to see a repeat of the Burt Van Marvijk tactics four years ago. I'd rather them lose. I'd rather them lose four-two, five-two in an end-to-end game than barely trouble Hugo Lloris or whatever in a one-nil loss where the, they go the one, down. The on one example why I don't want to see is what happened in 2010. What uh, Pimba Bake did and basically can tried to sacrifice the German Germany game. Like I said, you know, yeah, France are probably on paper going to start favourites in that group, but that's no excuse to basically go, oh, let's just go limit damage limitation and you know focus on Denmark and Tunisia because those two those two nations as well have got just as much firepower as France. So a whole, like I said, we don't we don't want to repeat 2010, but also to your point, yeah, 2018 that that first game yeah, it probably wasn't great either. Yeah, Tunisia's the most underrated team in this group. No one's talking about it. Everyone's just assuming they're an absolute tap-in three points for Australia. I reckon Tunisia would say the exact same thing about us. It's a much more difficult game than everyone wants to admit. My pro- my opinion on Tunisia is quite simply, like, it is the probably the easiest option for three points in that group, but that is saying a lot more about France and Denmark than it is about Tunisia. However, I do think if the Socceroos show up on the day and actually play play to their potential, they can get three points. Unbeaten in Doha this World Cup campaign. Yeah. The trophy's coming home. That's <laughs> just a fact. And that, and that is actually, that's, a, that's an important point that Scott makes as well, is that uh, 
look playing Qatar as well at this time of year in this in this weather. Look, these, these some of these European teams are not are not going to like it. So I think we've also got to factor in the conditions. Yeah, look, you can talk about air-conditioned stadiums all you want, but you know what? You're only in that air-conditioned stadium for 90 minutes. Plus, yeah, I plus stoppages, yeah. James, but it is a massive factor. Australia are well used to those conditions in this campaign. They've played a lot of qualifiers over there. Thanks to the pandemic, it's a big advantage. Mm. Yep. You know what? I'm actually kind of looking forward to the uh, World Cup after that little discussion. It may not go as well as uh, we'd like it to for Australia, but it is still the World Cup. Uh, final thoughts, Scott? I'm looking forward to the World Cup as well. The timing of it stinks, but it's always great to have a World Cup. And when it starts, I'm sure we'll all get right into it. But at least we're also not frantically searching for jumpers, jackets, hoodies, anything we can find to uh, watch the games at 2am. Adam, final thoughts? Uh, look, I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk for for the last, you know, you know how, how long it's been, you know, almost a decade about, you know, Qatar and suitability to host the host this World Cup. Look, at the end of the day, that you can put that to one side. Just thank God we're going to get something on the pitch. And I think the, the, I think the, the stuff on the pitch is going to be fantastic. The, the sad thing is that everything that's surrounding it, I think, uh, unfortunately, I think that, you know, hopefully we can put that to one side, you know, because there's plenty of time after to debate, you know, the merits of it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, just make the most of it, I suppose. That's all we can really do as football fans. Just be aware of what's going on and still try and enjoy the actual football, which is what we are watching it for in the first place. Um, that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Adam. Welcome back. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you and good night. Scott, thank you. Thank you, James. Welcome back, Adam. We'll talk to you about the Raw next week when we've got our A-League Women's Preview as well. Yes, we've got a lot coming up as well. We've got yeah, the A-League Women's Preview. We'll uh, do, be doing some form of World Cup coverage as well. whole lot to look forward to over the next month. Uh, the, and uh, we'll be here to cover it all on the Brisbane Football Review. We'll talk to you then.